0: To the Education Futures podcast, I'm John Moravec.
1: I'm Kelly Moravec. So people often ask me uh, how we can possibly have a regular evening at home uh, with John and me being married, and how can we possibly engage in any conversation that's not around work? And honestly, um, we don't really. We engage in lots of conversation around work, and so we thought it might be fun in this podcast to um, engage in some of those conversations around recent topics and trends in education, um, for those of you to engage in with us. So we have decided to each bring one, uh, current piece of news to this podcast to just sort of engage in discussion around and, and see where that conversation leads.
0: And I want to point out that we're talking about our work, but also with an eye toward the future. So in reality, we have never been in the future. So neither of us have any idea what we're talking about. just half the fun.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, would you like to go first with the story you brought?
0: Yeah. So, all right. So Education Week, well, actually it was last week, uh, August 12th, they they posted on their website slash blog. I'm not sure what it is anymore. It's a headline, despite public outcry, Utah schools can now hire teachers with no training. Hmm. So the states decided that... Well, they can hire teachers without training. Also, they think that they can attract people into teaching who otherwise may have not been successful in other areas or decided that they want to become teachers.
1: So these are people who have expertise in some sort of content area like biology, for instance, that they're recruiting to teach high school biology. Is that right?
0: Right. So if you find somebody who's done some work in biology that they should be able to toss in front of a group of fifth graders and they can teach current stuff from their work.
1: So it's not just looking for someone to teach the content of biology to high school students, but it's looking at people to who have no training in, in pedagogy to work with elementary age kids.
0: Well, that is one of the key criticisms. In the article, they quote somebody who... It was an interview by the Salt Lake Tribune who said that just because you comprehend third grade math doesn't mean you can teach third grade math. And I think that there's this is where the huge disconnect is. I think this is really revolving around the question, or teachers professionals?
1: It makes me think of, you know, my experience as a college professor. And that's the track of most college professors is that they are experts in their field. And then they teach at the university level with little to no training on how to actually teach the content so it's to me it doesn't seem all that much different other than you're putting someone potentially in an elementary classroom to teach all content areas without the expertise there to at least the expertise in the material
0: but that was my experience as well coming from the university system but it seems to me that in the primary and secondary worlds that things may be a little bit different, that maybe that there is a little more professionalism that extends beyond content area knowledge that should be exhibited.
1: Well, right. I don't mean to suggest that any of the college teachers I had in my you know, intro to biology, for instance, were were good teachers. They had a solid understanding of the content, but certainly didn't facilitate my learning in any special way. I think that's a terrible idea.
0: Well, to me it seems that, you know, it's harder to become a plumber in Utah than it is to become a teacher. And that, you know, plumbing is kind of like a profession. You need you need years of experience before you can kind of go out on your own. But you know, within Utah, the article cites that forty two percent of teachers in Utah quit within five years of starting. And more than one third of those who quit teaching do so at the end of the first year.
1: Those statistics might be specific to Utah, but it's pretty common for most teachers to quit um, if they're going to quit within the first five years. That's kind of the cutoff point between whether you're going to make it as a teacher or not. That's standard.
0: So I think that for the other states, I think there's a huge opportunity to grab these Utah teachers that otherwise may not enjoy it there or entice them. or
1: (laughs) Well, I'm not quite sure I understand, because if you're quitting in Utah, chances are the public education system in some other state isn't going to be any different. But the idea, getting back to what you said about plumbers, almost all adults have had some sort of experience in school which either worked well for them or didn't. And those who it worked well for probably have an idea of what they can do either similarly or different that would work well for other people, whether that's true or not. Because there's they we all have that in common, that we've experienced school. Not everyone has experienced Plumbing, so I think the difference there is that for someone who feels that they have knowledge about what school is and what it should be and how it works and what works well, um, versus plumbing and how that looks and how that works and what works well, there's an experience and a and a concept background and a context that most people have with schools that they don't have with something like plumbing which I think leads to plumbing being seen as more of a profession than teaching because there's that lack of experience with plumbing. And so you need an expert to be able to do that.
0: I think there's an underlying theory here as well that schools would be able to tap into a, a, a varied uh, pool of professions and pool of talents. And that, that made the supporters of this believe that that the sort of law would give school's access to a broader pool of talent. How do you feel about that?
1: I think that makes sense if schools were structured differently. If we structured our schools around kids exploring curiosities and doing things that they wonder about and then seeking out the help or, of, a, of someone who's an expert in that field to engage in conversation or experiment or whatever it is that they're interested in doing, then that makes sense. But that's not where we are right now. Currently in education, you have one person who is in charge of determining how kids are going to learn what it is that they're being told is important for kids to learn. And you have to have knowledge of ways that kids learn to be able to operate in that kind of system.
0: Okay. So you're a licensed teacher. Mm -hmm. I'm not. Would you want to teach in Utah?
1: Well, I wouldn't care because I'm already licensed and I know how to teach. That that law would only irritate me if I had someone next door to me who was doing the wrong things with kids and for kids um, because they weren't licensed. But someone like that isn't going to stay in the teaching profession very long. This is a short-term fix. If If you have trained teachers, teachers who are trained in how to work with kids that don't stay in the field for more than five years... There's no way that someone who's trained in biology, who has never had any experience working with kids and doesn't know methods for teaching, that's going to stay in any longer. It's a short-term fix.
0: So I guess we'll just have to see how this works out.
1: I guess so. Okay, well, the story that I brought is from Florida, um, and it is about the um, parents who are um, who, who have a lawsuit pending right now because um, they opted their third graders out of standardized tests. And as a result, um, these third graders are facing retention. They may not be promoted to fourth grade simply because they opted out of the tests. So Florida has a law that says basically in order to be promoted to fourth grade students have to score level two or higher on their standardized English language arts assessment and if they don't then there has to be documented uh, reasons for what the deficiency is and what's happened and what's taken place to try to to mediate the the deficiency and it can be things as simple as you know, report cards or, you know, students who have shown that they're working at honors level or things like that. But because these students didn't take the test at all, they don't have any sort of score. And so Florida is threatening to retain them in third grade and not allow them to pass on to fourth grade just because they opted out of the test.
0: Holy cow. Wow.
1: So the lawsuit says that there are some students who are honors students who have always performed well, who are top readers that are being threatened with retention, who opted out of the test. And then there are also students who took the test, did poorly, but have all of those other documented sources for why they ought to be promoted, who will be promoted to fourth grade.
0: I am going to guess this is under the theory that, well, we do not know if kids learn at all, unless we test them, is the theory that this operates under. We don't know if kids have mastered third grade material, unless if we test them.
1: I mean, maybe that's part of it, but I feel like it's more to me, at least based on what I've been reading. And I got an article from the Washington Post and then I pulled up the law from the, you know, Florida state government. Um, And then there's also a website that these parents have started. That's the Opt Out Florida Network that is, you know, kind of gives the, the information about the what happened and what the lawsuit is. But it seems like, at least from the parent's perspective, that it's more um, of a punishment for opting kids out of tests, that the, the, the consequence for the action of opting their students out of the third grade test is that they don't, they're not allowed to be promoted to fourth grade. So it's not so much about the assessment and about the results, it's about teaching the parents a lesson.
0: So it's a lot of punish the parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, who otherwise may be giving kids or allowing kids authentic learning opportunities instead of taking a test, which is likely not quite as much of a learning opportunity?
1: You know, I don't, I maybe, although as a school, public school teacher, students who opt out of tests when the whole school is basically on lockdown because testing is happening. There's no authentic learning happening for students who are opting out. There's, not, there's no one who's providing them with any sort of learning or teaching or anything else. It, my guess is that they sat in a room by themselves and did some silent reading or worked on homework of other kinds rather than really engaging in any sort of learning opportunity as a result of opting out. It's not as if the, opting out, because they opted out, they had extra time to, to explore something on their own.
0: From an ethical standpoint... What should parents do in Florida?
1: At this point, the, the parents of the students who are not being promoted to fourth grade, I think this is good that they're filing the lawsuit, that they're, they're bringing this idea to light that this law is ridiculous, that they have children who have proven time and again that they are able to do third and then will be prepared to do fourth grade material. There's no reason why they should be retained for an extra year of third grade simply because they didn't take a test, because they have no score for, for the test. That doesn't make any sense. So it seems good that they're finding ways to bring bring it out publicly, that they're you know doing something to at least reverse the decision and allow their children to go on to fourth grade. But as far as if you're asking me about what should they do as far as opting out, who cares? That's how I feel. We have school age children. I don't care if they take the test or not. The test doesn't mean anything to me. They're not doing anything worthwhile in school at that time anyway. Why not?
0: And that's an interesting perspective for sure. You and I have been advocating that we need to measure what we value instead of valuing what we measure. And so this Florida law, it seems that it's very vague in allowing parents alternative means to do that. Do you have any perspectives as to what sort of alternative activities or... Uh, measurement uh, schemes that parents may want to get into to to meet that requirement?
1: It doesn't have anything to do with parents proving that their child is a capable reader. It's about other things that the children have done at school to pr- prove that they're capable readers. So it's other, you know, formative assessments that have been done with teachers. It's report cards. It's, you know, past school performance, just not all tied to that one standardized assessment.
0: Well, I'm just uh, saying that because it seems, from what you just said, it sounds like that there are alternative means for, for parents or teachers or others to submit in lieu of an exam evidence that a student meets certain competencies.
1: Oh, it's not in lieu of the exam. It's in addition to the exam, should a child score poorly on the exam.
0: In this country, we build prisons based off of third grade reading scores. So if we're holding kids back, that's kind of a big deal.
1: Well, it's just making a different decision based on the same score.
0: Right. Well, but the score is based on, say, parents not allowing their children or allowing their children to skip the exam, then that's uh, kind of interesting.
1: But in all honesty, the kids whose parents are opting them out are not the kids that they're building prisons based on.
0: You know, I'm shocked with this story, and I feel like I'm also not so shocked by it because it's Florida. Florida is weird. It's a it's a weird place, but I'm really shocked by it because this is one of the few times in modern American society that we're actually punishing the parents uh, or punishing the children by dropping them out or holding the children personally accountable at the third grade level for exams that are designed to measure school performance and at the smallest classroom performance so this is a really big deal cuz it's not just high stakes testing it's high stakes testing that severely targeting the children and that's a really big deal it's really sad
1: I don't think that law's been in place for for quite a while I don't think that it's so much targeting it's not really targeting anyone it's just that there's no reason for these kids to be held back even though they didn't take the test, because there are other ways for them to prove that they have mastered third grade material and should be promoted to fourth grade. I think the bigger issue around this is that the, the, the children are the ones who have to suffer the consequences for the parents' decision to opt them out, and there's no reason for that to happen. The state of Florida is choosing to force kids to suffer the consequences of the decisions of their parents. Well, and we I don't have the statistics in front of me or any research in front of me, but I think it's relatively well known that retention doesn't work, and it's far more damaging to a child to be retained than it is beneficial.
0: Right, retention also increases early dropout, mm-hmm. dropout rates as well, as both students give up as well as parents. Mm-hmm. Very troubling.
1: Yeah. So the last post on the parent website was on uh, August 12th, and there hasn't been any updates that I could find since then about the lawsuit, which was brought forward to a judge, and the judge uh, needed some time before uh, making the ruling. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see what, what, what unfolds in Florida. I would be shocked if they were allowed to continue forward with the retention of these third graders. So hopefully they will somehow figure out a way to promote, promote them. <laughs>
0: I hope so as well. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing in law in the United States that, or at least nationally that says that kids have a right to an, ed- to an education. And so there are, of course, obstacles that we can put in place. So scary stuff. So we've been tweeting lately, too. We've been asking questions the last few weeks. We've been asking kind of like, what are we educating for? What is the purpose of education? Mm-hmm. Uh, we got into motivation, engagement in the classroom. And where are we going next week?
1: Uh, next week, we're getting back to the basics. So if we're thinking about, um, you know, school is starting. School already started for many kids, started today, um, or the 22nd, Monday, August 22nd. Um, so we're looking at getting back to the basics and kind of thinking about, okay, well, if we strip everything down and think about, you know, what 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 is education for? What really do we want all people to know, understand, and be able to do when they're finished with and and education and then thinking about who do we need to bring together to um, make decisions about how that happens and then if we have a solid curriculum in place how do we assess really how do we assess what we value as opposed to assessing or measuring um, what someone else values so looking at how you know at the assessment piece and then thinking about technology and then community engagement and what does that look like and how do we make sure that Kids are doing the right things in school, the best things for them, um, as we look ahead to their future, um, and having the right people involved.
0: Michael, so it seems to me that as we're ta- as we're looking towards the future of education, we're getting quite a bit back to the basics. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put you in the spot. Okay. Within public education, what are we educating for?
1: I think that we are educating for the purpose of developing people who have the skills that it takes to do whatever it is they wanna do. And to be strong members of society, to be positive citizens, to communicate with our shrinking world, be more global in their thinking. Um, to just have a subset of skills that enable them to be successful in whatever it is that they decide is their life's path. I love that.
0: This morning, I was lucky enough to give a convocation address to a high school in Mexico that was starting up, um, the Nomad School in uh, Sinaloa. And I related from, you know, growing up as a kid being told I could be anything I wanted to be when I was growing up. And I want to be an astronaut. You know I mean tons of us want to be astronauts or firemen or or you know visil visible members of the community. And of course most of us never did. My first job out of college really was like, I wound up working at a bank, you know, working in trust. Who wants to be a trust officer when they grow up? Not me. Mm-hmm. Uh I think that stuff happens. And I said, you know, growing up, I want to become an astronaut, but it doesn't work out that way, that this whole myth that we could be whatever it is that we want to be doesn't work out because, especially today, because the world is changing so fast that the jobs that we're training for simply won't exist. And I think that a huge role for schools or for more, for modern schools and for modern students is to seek out an education where we can navigate this inherent chaos and ambiguity uh, quite a bit better so that we can always create our own jobs. We can create our own roles. We can always navigate. We can always find ways to create value as individuals, as human beings and help um, find out or discover our own personal pathways, but also in a very social sense, you know, pathways for our communities as well to move forward. And I think now that is, much more important today so it's not what do you want to be when you grow up or but it's more like what might you create when you grow up kind of thing what do you want to do right and the idea of that that work that there's this difference between work and jobs is much more different now than it used to be in the past where work and jobs were one the same but work is something today that you know really belongs to each of us, it's a very personal thing, and jobs are these sort of gigs that we take on. We move from from role to role, organization to organization, and sort of this gig economy that we have when we move around nomadically. But the work is something that's very personal to us, you know. My work is now I am really focused on education futures. There aren't many there aren't many education futurists out there, but I try to take on jobs that kind of help fit that and help fit that role quite a bit. So, I think the purpose of education, I think, is to help. There's still a bit of that. So changing the topic a little bit, we have a book club. We do. (laughs) Tell me about it a little bit.
1: (laughs) Okay. Um, On the first Saturday of every month, we are engaging in a book club at 10 o'clock Central Time um, on Twitter. And this, the very first book club, will be using Ken Robinson's Creative Schools and it takes place September 3rd. And um, we're really looking forward to, you know, kind of reading together and uh, discussing the things that we found to be salient points or uh, disagreeable or ideas that we would really like to pursue a little bit further. Um, and what we're really hoping is that we can engage community members, business leaders, uh, people from around the world, people from the, around the United States, people from our region. Um, friends, new friends, um, people that we're just connecting with uh, for the first time, but just really developing a good sort of fluid group of people that can come together and um, share in a discussion around the themes and topics that arise from each text uh, every month. So again, the first month, September 3rd at 10 o'clock Central Time uh, on Twitter, we're doing Ken Robinson's Creative Schools. And then the following month, the first Saturday in October, we're looking at finish lessons 2.0. Um, and then November and December, we're looking at um, a couple of other really engaging texts. One, um, Peter Gray's text on um, play, and then also Richard Cash's text on um, on learning, learning how to learn.
0: Very cool. And again, dot com slash reads very cool. Well, thank you very much. Well, this concludes our very first uh, Education Futures podcast. I'm John Morbeck.
1: I'm Kelly kalorn Morbeck.
0: And we're going to see how this uh, turns out and continue, continue in the following weeks. And that's a, okay, so the worst sorry. sign off ever, isn't it? <laughs>
1: be uh, more of an interactive experience. We want to engage all of our listeners in the stories that we're sharing and the topics that we're discussing and we can't really do that without your feedback and your input. So John and I would like to invite you to email us with uh, topics for discussion, with themes, with stories that you have that you'd like us to share. Um, And we would be happy to read those and engage in some of that discussion sort of alongside you Um, on our podcast in upcoming weeks so if you have an idea that you would like us to discuss if you have a story you'd like us to share feel free to email me at kelly at educationfutures.com